Welcome to Mara Baptist Church Sunday School. Welcome, welcome. It's good to see everybody here. And uh, I am going to try uh, a uh, mic for the people at home because it really helps them. I think most of you can hear me here, but the mic helps for the people at home. And we have uh, a special visitor. Well, we have se several special visitors. We have Steve and Kathy with us back. We're glad to have you guys back. And uh, we also have uh, um, Rich Castillo that I was with in the military. And uh, also Travis, I'm really happy that, uh, that he's here today. It's good to see you, Rich. Thanks for coming. It's very good to see y'all. And uh, uh, when are y'all headed back? Monday. Monday, okay. <laughs> Safe trip. And uh, it's a joy to fellowship with you. Uh, we're looking at Colossians. You should have a gray handout. Looks like this. It says Colossians number four, part three. If you have an earlier version, that's okay. You can still get the gist of everything. This is just corrected errors and uh, kind of tuned it up for today. And we have a lot to go through. We're going to review the first part, so I'm going to kind of race through the first part of this and get to the end. And if you're at home and you would like a handout, uh, if you'll call the church office, email the church, either one, however you want to contact Cindy, the church office, and she'll send a, a handout to you via email. Let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us as we look through Colossians. Father, we thank you for this wonderful book of the Bible. Um, it's been a great blessing to me for many years. I pray, Father, that you would continue to help us to understand your word, that your spirit would illumine us, that your spirit would help us to understand exactly what you were saying to the Colossians and exactly what you're saying to us. I thank you for each family represented here this morning for your blessing upon them and their service, uh, Father, for, uh, for you. I pray, Father, that you would uh, truly open your word to us and impress upon our hearts what you would have us to learn. Thank you for, again, the families represented. We pray for those that are ill. We pray for those that are home and can't come out. Pray that you would be with our uh, congregation for all those that are suffering and hurting. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So this is part three of, of our time. We are looking at the first chapter, verses 9 through 14, and... We are looking at the third section, which is Paul's, we're calling it Paul's prayer petition. Or these are requests that he had. He already had one prayer of thanksgiving for, for them. And he talked about, if you remember, the faith, hope, and love that, that they demonstrated. And then that naturally led to this prayer petition. So I'm going to read Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And if you'll turn there and... Uh, in other passages, if I go to, you're welcome to go to, but if you'll kind of stay at uh, uh, 9 through 14, I think it'll help. Uh, it, this passage reads, if you'll just listen as I uh, read, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, or Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace. From God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love which you have to all the saints, 
for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is common to you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Now, this is the passage that we've, we've been on most recently, 9 through 14. For this cause ought we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to the glorious, his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering and joyfulness, giving thanks unto God the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who have delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So this is the prayer. And the prayer focuses on two requests for the Colossians. One, uh, he's, well, we'll look at it in just a second. The reason for this prayer is as he noticed their faith, hope, and love, and he reflected on Epaphras telling uh, Paul about them in Rome where he was in prison. Epaphras had gone there to tell him about the uh, heresy that was a danger and also talk about the positive things that were happening there. He offered this prayer of thanksgiving that we read in verses 3 through 8. And out of that comes a natural inclination to pray for their further development. And we also, talks about, uh, it reflects on their love of the Spirit, along with their faith, hope, and uh, faith and hope. And that motivated Paul's response in the form of a prayer of petition for them. So the content of the prayer, there's two major focuses on, in this, this prayer. There's a lot of stuff in this, and it kind of it kind of gets all put together because you know Paul has these long sentences. Well, the first thing is that they may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, and secondly, that they might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. And that worthy walk is evidenced by fruitfulness in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, and to all patience, with long-suffering, with joyfulness, and giving thanks to God, giving thanks to the Father for the benefits and blessings of their redemption. Now, those four aspects, with fruitfulness, increasing, and strengthened, strengthened, and giving thanks, those are reflections of a worthy walk. Some people think that those are separate prayer requests. I think it's, I really like the, the Two requests and the fruitfulness increasing and strengthening and giving thanks is a reflection of how we walk worthy in Christ. So first, 
uh, that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul's entire prayer really centers around this request so that they would be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding. And this is vitally important. And we talked about to fill means to fill to the full, to be filled, to be made full. It's used to persons, um, and it means that they are receiving the maximum capacity with immaterial things. And I gave the uh, example previously of filling your gas tank up to the, right up to the neck, trying to get as much in there as possible. Um, and filled with suggests, I quote the last quote down at the bottom of page one, filled with suggests that the knowledge of the divine will, God's will for us, God's will for you, is to saturate your entire being, your thoughts, your affections, your plans, nothing short of the total of what God can and give his can and will give his people satisfy Paul's inspired desire, his request, prayer request for the saints, as Curtis Vaughn. Now, if you'll turn to page two. I think those are back to front. I want to share a quote. Um, Paul would not have a believer ignorant. This is uh, from uh, Betty. Betty asked where the, one of the quotes that I was giving came from last week. And, and I know it was Spurgeon, but I didn't know exactly where out of Spurgeon. So Cindy, the quintessential researcher, helped me find um, um, the... There's a site that has all of Spurgeon's, many of Spurgeon's uh, messages. And this is from Spiritual Knowledge and Its Practical Results from September 30th, 1883. Now, if my math is right, that's 139 years ago, almost to the month, not quite. And this is just as true then as it is today. And so is God's Word. Um, he quotes, Paul being himself delivered out of darkness, he strives to bring others into the marvelous light of grace. Paul would have his brethren thoroughly furnished for sacred service, knowing the will of the Lord themselves and able to teach others. He desired for them that they might possess comforting knowledge, strengthening knowledge, edifying knowledge, sanctifying knowledge, directing knowledge, so that they might be ready for all the trials, duties, and labors of life. That's from his sermon, Spiritual Knowledge and Its Practical Results. It's on Colossians 1, 9 through 10. And I have a couple of other quotes that I wanted to share as well. Um, and Paul really goes on to say, Paul would not have a believer ignorant upon any point. He would have him filled with knowledge for when a measure is full of wheat, there's no room for chaff. If we're filled with God's, Cindy says this a lot, if we're filled with things from God, there's less room for things from the other side. And uh, Spurgeon said, Paul would not have a believer ignorant upon any point. He would have him filled with knowledge. For when a measure is full of wheat, there's no room for chaff. True knowledge excludes error. 
the men that go after false doctrine are usually those who know little of the word of God being untaught. They're unstable, ready to blow about with every wind of doctrine. If you leave empty souls, empty spots in your minds, unstored with holy teaching, there'll be an invitation to the devil to enter in and dwell there. Fill up the soul and so shut out the enemy, Spurgeon says. Paul desired the Colossian saints to be filled, filled to the brim with the knowledge of God's will. Brethren, we would have you know all that you can know of God's truth. Rome flourishes by man's ignorance, Rome being a, a metaphor for uh, all the people. Rome flourishes by man's ignorance, but New Jerusalem rejoices in the light. <coughs> Excuse me. So uh, on the top of page two, knowledge of God's will is a foundation for all Christian character and conduct. Knowledge is from a compound Greek word, epinosis, which J. Bernard McGee calls super knowledge. It's complete knowledge. And J.B. Lightfoot says, second uh, bullet under B there, epinosis is used especially of the knowledge of God and of Christ as being the perfection of knowledge. The knowledge of his will is not an inner impression or feeling, MacArthur says, but a deep, thorough knowledge of the will of God that's finally and completely revealed in Scripture and the Word of God, MacArthur. And a lack of knowledge, like Spurgeon said, leads to instability, vulnerability, chaos, failure, apostasy. And the passage in Ephesians 4, 13 tells us that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. The less people know about God and his will for them and the knowledge and understand in knowledge and wisdom and understanding, they are more likely to blow around and be swayed by the false teachers. So wisdom and spiritual understanding, MacArthur says wisdom's ability to accumulate accumulate knowledge and accumulate and organize principles from scripture and understanding is the application of those principles to daily living. And the, and the word spiritual modifies wisdom and it modifies understanding. So it's spiritual wisdom and spiritual knowledge, spiritual understanding, so that it has a, bit, a bigger impact. Okay, the second uh, part of this is to walk worthy unto all pleasing. And Dear Yama, do you remember why we are to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and wisdom and understanding? And the, 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 the hint is that the text says uh, that we, for this cause, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, verse 9, and desire that he might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Verse 10, that he might walk worthy of the Lord and do all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and so forth. So that's the hint. And, and the answer is, so, so um, why should we be, why, should, why does Paul want us to be filled with the knowledge of God's will from the scriptures? 
Well, they, they serve, uh, what is the answer here, Tristan, with the answer in the paper? Yeah. <laughs> no. I didn't mean you put you on well, the spot. Me, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah. You'd be young or uh, <laughs> and, the, and the answer is, no, verse 10, he wants us to, yeah. to be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that we will walk worthily. I was going to say, yeah, that, that's uh, because uh, okay, God's word is full of his will. Yes, right? yeah. One thing that I was going to uh, ask about, Scotty, is you know how we, in life, we have to make all kinds of decisions, right? For example, I'm selling a house, I'm buying a house, uh, you know, who, who today, we're not there, but I mean, for younger people who today. So, how do you um, apply uh, the knowledge and the will of God in His Word to those decisions that are not necessarily, you know, because the Bible, the Word of God doesn't say, you know, God shall not buy this house if this is this neighbor. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of decisions that we have to make. Uh, and I understand, you know, this is God's will. Again, God's Word is full of God's will. But there's a lot of stuff, a lot of decisions in life that, you know, it's not, you know, right, it's not spiritual. That's a good point. But, you know, we want to make the right decisions. What would you tell someone who, you know, asks you, uh, how do I know what decision to make for this for ABCD? Yeah, I remember uh, a, uh, Guillermo's question was, how do we know the will of God and, uh, and apply it to decisions that really aren't specifically addressed to the scripture kind of thing, right? And, and I think the answer is, you know, we're told that everything that we, the Bible contains all that we need. It's this full revelation for, for our knowledge. And I remember a message that addressed that that was, I think, Pastor Harder or somebody else preached here. And it talked, there was a whole bunch of series of questions. Does it, um, and, and it's what, as far as the decision, the thing you're trying to make a decision on, is it, does it affect uh, is it does it give glory to God? Uh, is it something that would cause someone to uh, stumble? Uh, is it something that uh, would cause me to be um, a reflection of Christ as I do it? Uh, is it something that's questionable? And can I do it in faith? Because what's everybody out of faith is sin. Those kinds of questions that we could apply as a test, uh, and I don't have them all prepared. Uh, but oh, th those kinds of things, we can look at those, and and even then, if we're not quite sure, we can pray about it and 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 ask the Lord to impress upon us. And sometimes uh, He reveals His will by opening doors to us, and then counsel of others, asking others that are older, or wiser, or more knowledgeable, asking their opinion, and being accountable to to other people is a great thing to do. So. Sometimes we want to do something really badly. It's not God's will. And so we'll manipulate our interpretation of Scripture to fit what we want the answer to be. And that's wrong. So we've got to ask ourselves, we really should ask ourselves that question. Because a couple of times, you know, I've had an endeavor I wanted to pursue. And, 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 and it wasn't God's will, but it sure looked awfully good. And uh, so um, I, I hope that helps well, answer that's good, because, you know, people sometimes use, oh, I have peace about it. And you can cite yourself to have peace about anything. 
Yes, that's right. Uh, Guillermo said you can, uh, you know, I, somebody might say, well, I have peace about it. And, and he just said, well, you can, you can, you can ma manipulate yourself into having peace about anything. You know, the conscience, we can sear our conscience. I'm going to move on because I want to, I don't want there to be a lesson four uh, in this area. Uh, second, uh, we're to walk worthy of the Lord and to all pleasing. So this, this, uh, this second request, um, is directly related to the first request. As I was asking Gary Arma the question there. Knowing God's will results in a worthy walk. Uh, we just don't need to know God's will for us just to have the knowledge. We need to know it so it will fill our lives and hearts with the desire to do it. And um, we need to know for the purpose of our fulfilling, serving, and living God's will. Um, Lightfoot said the end of all knowledge uh, the Apostle Paul would say is conduct and the Lord's Paul's prayer includes uh, his desire for right living that the Colossi and us we should walk so as to worthily, be, walk worthily of the Lord and that high ideal is held up by Paul if the Colossians are full of knowledge of God's will and all wisdom, their spiritual walk will be worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And spiritual knowledge and enlightenment is shown by a worthy walk. Doctrines and ethics for Paul are inseparable. Uh, to have knowledge and discernment, that's not character. I can have all the knowledge and discernment, but I... To, to have knowledge and discernment is not character, but to live in a worthy manner of him does reflect godly character. Creed and conduct should go together. I say belief and behavior. You want to know what a person believes really, what their theology really is? You watch their conduct because people do what they believe. They say, well, I believe in this and I believe in that. You watch their conduct and you think, well, that's not that. So our, th these are related. What we believe is reflected in our, con in our behavior or conduct. So the best answer, uh, creed and conduct should go together. Anyway, so moving on. Um, walk means how we conduct our lives and to walk worthy. Uh, we're ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.20. And worthiness means godliness as reflected by our character, our conduct, and our consecration to the Lord. That's my quote. Uh, did you know that people judge the Lord by you? You say you're a Christian? And we talked about this. Somebody came up to me one time. This is, I'm, not, I'm ashamed to say this. Somebody came up to me and said one time, Scotty, I thought you were a Christian. Uh-oh. I'm out. <laughs> and and I said, you're right, I was wrong, and I shouldn't do that. I apologize, you know, and tried to make things right. So did you know that people judge the Lord by you? And what, what they think of him often is, is determined by you, because we are ambassadors for Christ. How can you witness to somebody if you're acting like somebody on the other side from the forces of darkness? Unto all pleasing, this is the only use of this word in the scripture, and we're to live worthy of, worthily of the Lord, and we're to live in a way which is pleasing to God. 
in every way. Uh, worthy of the Lord and to all pleasing. Um, I found another quote I wanted to read to you from that same uh, sermon by um, Spurgeon. This is Spurgeon. He says, Next the apostle would have us get knowledge in order that, that we may so live as to be pleasing to our best friend. That's the Lord. Worthy of the Lord and to all pleasing. Is that not beautiful, he says? To live so as to please God in all respects. Some live to please themselves. And some to please their neighbors. And some to please their wives. Some to please their children. And some live as if they wish to please the devil. But our business is to please him in all things whose servants we are. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So away with unbelief. Without holiness, no man shall see him, much less please him. Therefore, let us follow after holiness that we may, uh, and may the Lord work it in us unto all pleasing, so that we may please God from the moment we rise in the morning to the time we lie down. And please him even when we are asleep, he says, that we may eat and drink so as to please him, that we may speak and think so as to please him that we may go or stay so as to please him, that we may rejoice or suffer so as to please him, walking worthily of the Lord unto all pleasing. O blessed man, whose life is pleasing to God in all respects, God grant us grace to know his will and then to obey it unto all pleasing. Uh, Spurgeon has a way with words. Walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing D. It's further described, as I said earlier in the introduction, by these uh, four participles. This is I'm on page three in the middle of the page. Fruitfulness in every good work, that's literally bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, under patience and long suffering with joyfulness and giving thanks to the Father for benefits and blessings of our redemption. Now these things, these four things, Paul knew that these were the will of God. These describe our actions that would please God. First, fruitfulness. We walk worthy, pleasing the Lord. And it's in a present tense. It means that we're continually to be bearing fruit, continually and describe some things uh, that are fruit-bearing there, and we know the fruits of the Spirit. Um, and fruit is evident, evidence of a right relationship with God, but we're not saved by the fruit of good works, not by righteousness we, we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us, Titus 3, 5. And the we are to be fruitful, we have, we're to be we're to we're to be engaged in fruitfulness, not fruitlessness. And um, get a quote uh, from Spurgeon, and I think it's the quote that Betty liked. Um, fruitful every fruitful in every good work. Here's room and range enough in every good work. Have you the ability to preach the gospel? Preach it. 
Does a little child need comforting? Comfort it. Can you stand up and vindicate a glorious truth before thousands? Do it. Does a poor saint need a bit of dinner from your table? Send it to her. Let the works of obedience, testimony, zeal, charity, piety, philanthropy all be found in your life. Do not select big things as your special line, but glorify God also in the littles, the little things. Fruitful in every good work, Spurgeon. Um, secondly, uh, increasing in the knowledge of God. Um, you know, our time is so short, and, and I love some of these, these quotes. Uh, uh, Spurgeon talks about, um, he says, why is it some... Why is it that some are not faithful or fruitful in this comprehensive way? Because it's speaking of being fruitful in all things. Because they are not filled with the knowledge and all wisdom. When a man says, you can ask me, you ask me to do the lowest work. Don't you know that I'm a man of remarkable ability who should have higher work to do? I, I venture to assert that he is an ignorant man. Self-assertion, self-glorying, in other words, is ignorance on horseback. I love that phrase. I have no idea what that means, but it's, it's funny. You have probably read of a certain renowned corporal in American service a century ago. A general, as he rode along, saw a body of men endeavoring, endeavoring to lift timber. They were shorthanded, and the work lagged, but their famous corporal, standing by directing them, was ordering them about at a magnificent rate. The general passed and said, why don't you lend them help and put your shoulder to it? Why, sir, said the corporal, how can you think of such a thing? You know who I am. I'm a corporal. The general got off his horse, pulled off his coat, helped to move the timber, and by his judicious help, the soldiers achieved their task. Then he turned to the high and mighty corporal and said, Mr. Corporal, next time you want a man to do such a work as this, you can send for me. I am General George Washington. Just so the Lord Jesus Christ, if he were here, would gladly do a thousand things which his portal servants are too great to touch. I know you, dear brother, you are too experienced, too old, too learned to help the Sunday school I know you're too responsible to give away, respectable to give away a track. Pray get out of such ignorant ways of thinking and ask to be useful in all possible ways. If you've done a little, do much. If you've done much, do more. And when you have done more, ask for grace to proceed to the highest possible degree of usefulness for your Lord. I couldn't pass share on that with you. That is so good. We all say, Oh, but listen, I can't do that because of, I can't do that because of this. And I love Spurgeon says, do it, do it. Um, increasing in the knowledge of God, um, at the same time we're to be bearing fruit and walk, we are to walk worthily pleasing God in the increasing in the knowledge of God. We're to continually increase in the knowledge of God and fill our lives with that which will shut out the other, the evil. 
Uh, A.T. Robertson said, The knowledge of God is not an end in of itself, but a means to the growth into likeness of God. And Curtis Vaughn said, But rain and sunshine are the nurture of plants. The knowledge of God is to the growth and maturing of the spiritual life. Um, we should be growing continually. God's will for us is to grow continually. Are we increasing in the knowledge of God? Are we decreasing? Um, strengthen. Number three, at the top of page four, but we are to walk worthy of the Lord and do all pleasing. We're to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. As Christians, we're to walk worthily, pleasing the Lord, being strong in the Lord. And we're facing a struggle. And sometimes we wonder, why is this so hard? Why, Lord, why is this so hard? Well, I think one of the answers to that is we're to stand, we're, we are to stand against the wiles of the devil, principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places, Ephesians 6, 10, 10 through 12, right before it goes into the armor of God. It talks about who our enemies are. Our enemies are spiritual. And without God's divine power, we can't stand. And again, strengthened is in the present tense here. So it means, it indicates we are to continually be strengthened by God to be able to stand. Some people say, I wonder why I'm getting so weak. Are you in the word of God? Are you, are you being strengthened by the knowledge of, of God's will and the knowledge of God? Strengthened here is the same root word as used in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And <clears throat> um, Paul insists that the high standards of the Christian life are not meant to be lived up to by our own efforts, but in but by divine power, H.K. Uh, Moulton. And this is also, we're to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. And I wanted to share this with you because to be um, em empowered, um, strengthened by his might according to his glorious power. It's to be powered by his power according to his gracious power. Three, three different words, not three different words, but three different times that word is mentioned. And it's mentioned like that for impact. We're to be empowered by, and that second power comes from the word dynamite. And this emphasizes the measure, the magnitude, and the momentum of his power. And in the empowerment, a great point here is that the power, empowerment is, is not given in proportion or according to our need. Now, I read that and I thought, well, what do you mean? Sure it is. No, it's not given to us according to our need. It's given according to the measure of all of God's power, his glorious power, his, his omnipotence, his divine nature, his divine attributes. It's not given to us in measure of just what we need. It's more than we need to be able to accomplish anything. And not only that, but it's given unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Now, um, I defined patience and long-suffering. I want to read to you one of my favorite quotes ever, and it's from Ironside. And he talks about this uh, 
empowerment that we receive. And, and I know I've read a lot, and you're probably tired of my voice, but I want you to listen with me. This is a wonderful thing that brings out an incredible amount of um, truth in this passage. So we're talking about being strengthened with all might according to his glorious power and to all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. As, thus, as we thus go on with him, as we live our Christian life, we will be strengthened with all might, Ironside says, according to his glorious power. And this unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. How much have we here upon which our souls may well meditate? You know, pastor is always saying, rightly so, that we should be meditating on Scripture. You can think a long time on this. This is tremendous. It is God who supplies strength, giving all needed power in order that we may overcome in every adverse circumstance according to the might, not according to what our need is, but according to the might of his glory. What room is there for discouragement? As temptations and trials surround me and seem to overwhelm me, if I realize the very same spiritual dynamic, the power, that wondrous energy which raised Christ from the dead operates in me by the Spirit that I may be even more than victorious through him who loves me. Amen. But we might have supposed that all this manifestation of divine energy, this power, would result in some, producing some great outward display that would astonish and amaze an unbelieving world. But no, it is unto or for all patience. I read that and I go, wow. We should all have perfect patience if we take advantage of that much power from God. He goes on to say, I need this dynamic force so to keep the flesh in subjection that I can patiently endure whatever God in his wisdom sees fit to let me go through while in this wilderness world. Neither will I simply endure with stoic resignation. Stoicism was one of the things that influenced the uh, Greek philosophy that influenced uh, Gnosticism. That I would simply endure with stoic resignation, even as a pagan philosopher might exhibit, exhibit, but God would have me patiently wait upon him and rest in his love even amid circumstances that press hard upon my soul, and that I would have long-suffering that is uncomplaining endurance. But there's even more than this. In the hour of trial, a song of gladness will well up in the heart where the will of God is supreme. And so he adds, with joyfulness. Here's something that the natural man knows nothing of. Joy in the time of trial, gladness in the time of hardship, songs in the night, though the darkness be overwhelming, praises to the God of my salvation when nature shrinks and trembles. It was thus, it was this way 
that the martyrs could rejoice in the arena when thrown to the lions or exalt to the Lord when the flames <coughs> leaped up around them as they suffered at the stake. And myriads of all sufferers all through the Christian era have been able to testify to the sustaining grace of God when the Spirit seemed about to be overwhelmed. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Isn't that great? <laughs> I love that. I need that. So, with all might according to his glorious power, unto all long suffering, unto all patience with long suffering and joyful, with joyfulness. Okay. Um, patience comes from a Greek word meaning endurance, perseverance, and actively seeing things through, fortitude, and positively resolved. We think of it as a passive word. It's actually an active word. And long-suffering uh, is the opposite of wrath or revenge, and it's distinguished by even-temperedness. It doesn't retaliate uh, despite injury or insult. And joy in this passage is a cheerful exercise of endurance and forbearance, according to God's view. And these qualities uh, do not involve resentment, but joy. Example, Paul and Silas in the prison in, in the Philippians in Philippi in Acts 16, 25, it says that in the middle of the night, I would have been, I would have been complaining. I, I know Scotty, and I, I would have been complaining, saying, Lord, this hurts. Could you let this pass for me? This hurts. But at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And so did the Philippian jailer who was later saved as a, as a result after the earthquake. And they stayed. Uh, these, these qualities do not involve resentment, patience, and long-suffering, but joy. And giving thanks. Giving thanks to the Father for the benefits and blessings of redemption. And this fourth element of um, what Paul wants them to do and praying for them to do and this is the will of God for them to do, to walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing. Giving thanks has four elements as well. And the first one is he has made us meet or qualified to be the partakers of the saints in life. B, he has delivered us from the powers of darkness in your handout, the last section there. And C, he has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And D, he has, Christ has redeemed us in Christ, he has redeemed us through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Um, wanted to share with you, um, A.T. Robertson said, gratitude for his gifts, the grace of God, uh, grace in Christ. Paul's expressed his own gratitude of God because of his goodness to the Colossians. Now he prays that they would have the grace of gratitude themselves for what God has done for them and for the provisions of his grace in Christ. Paul urges upon them the duty of gratitude and several passages. They're to give thanks to the Father who, it says, meet, made them meet in the King James uh, we believe that could also be translated qualified to the Father who qualified us to be saints. And Paul speaks of God who also qualified us in 2 Corinthians 3, 6 as ministers of the new covenant. So 
uh, to make us competent, Lightfoot translates it. God has made us competent to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, he's also delivered us from the powers of darkness. Um, made us be partakers in the saints of light and delivered us from the powers of darkness. Um, again, A.T. Robertson says, who rescued us out of the powers of darkness. We were slaves in the land of darkness. God rescued us from this. It is a powerful picture that Paul has drawn of the power of sin and Satan over the souls of men. We speak today of heathen darkness. There is horror in the grip of darkness. Jesus in Luke 22, 53 said to the officers of the Sanhedrin who had come to arrest him, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. We've been, we have been delivered from that. But God rescued us, he says, at our conversion when the grip of Satan was broken. He transported us, uh, that's um, number C, he transported us and settled us as free colonists and citizens in the kingdom of his son in the realms of light. And that, I think that's a good paraphrase of what Paul is saying. God did more than rescue us out of the power of darkness. He transported us. He changed our habitation. He carried us over to the kingdom of the son of his love. The verb here is used by the classical writers, Robertson says, uh, for the removal of bodies of men, like colonists or military conquests, to other areas. When they were converted or born again, born again, they were they entered into the kingdom of light, that of God's beloved Son. And the Gnostics claim special illumination and initiation. But it's all darkness in comparison with pure Christianity. And then finally, he's redeemed us through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. I wanted to say one more thing about the power of the darkness here. <clears throat> I found a uh, gentleman named uh, Gusik, uh, Gusik, G-U-Z-I-K, uh, David. He said... Uh, um, the power of darkness may be seen in its effects. For those who have been delivered from the power of darkness, these effects should be less and less evident in their life. The, part, the power of darkness lulls us to sleep. The power of darkness is skilled at concealment. The power of darkness afflicts and depresses man. The power of darkness can fascinate us. The power of darkness emboldens some men. He goes on to say, Beloved, we're still tempted by Satan, but we're not under his power. We have to fight with him, but we are not his slaves. He is not our king. He has no rights over us. We do not obey him. He will not, we will not listen to, listen to his temptations. <clears throat> Christ, D, in Christ, he has redeemed us through his blood. We're to be thankful for that, even the forgiveness of sin. In whom we have the redemption of sin, A.T. Robertson said, Paul uh, tells us our redemption is grounded in Christ, the son of his father's love, and it is, it is made real 
and the individual experience the consciousness of forgiveness. So Paul explains that redemption in Christ is to be the forgiveness of sins. The redemption of Christ brings forgiveness of all sins to all who make peace with God on these terms. This is a tremendous fact for all of us. And the last quote I want to share with you before I ask a couple of questions is <clears throat> a man named uh, Dr. S. Lewis Johnson, a long-term pastor, said, Many years ago, I was in California listening to a Bible teacher in a conference in which I was a participant. The Bible teacher said, it's very difficult to live truth that we don't know. And I thought, well, yeah. He said, that little remark I wrote down, it was made 30 years ago. I took some notes yesterday. It was 30 years ago that that statement was made, and I noted it and even the date at which it was made because it impressed me at the time. It's very difficult to live truth you do not know. Remember, we're to be filled with the will, uh, filled with, uh, with the knowledge of the will of God. So then we have the Bible, the things that are to be to believe, and the things that are to be done, and we hold on to these in proper balance. We want to avoid the hard, bitter intellectualism. We want to avoid the soft, cheap sentimentalism. Uh, that abounds so much today in the Christian church and to talk about sentimentality as if it were true Christian love. Now we sum up what Paul has said. Love, faith, and hope is not enough. In order to walk worthy of the Lord, we need to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that the knowledge of his will is found and that the knowledge of his will is found in Holy Scripture. And that leads us to some questions. Number one, are you walking worthy of the Lord? Are you pleasing him? If you were to meet him today, would he say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Are you faithful? Are you faithless? Uh, excuse me, are you fruitful? Are you fruitless? Are you increasing in the knowledge of God? Are you reading his word? Or as I like to say, are you decreasing? Are you strengthened by his magnificent, endless, omnipotent power to enable patience and long-suffering with joy? Are you thankful for the benefits and blessings for your redemption and the forgiveness of your sin? Those are questions I think we should ask ourselves. I didn't do as well as I would like on some of those. I hope you do better. <laughs> Father, we thank you for the time we've had in your word. We thank you, Father, for this, this book, which is so rich and full of your word and such wonderful truth. Pray that you would help us to come to know these intimately. Help us to know the knowledge of your will for us so that we might please you, Lord, that we might walk worthily unto all pleasing. I thank you again for each family that's represented here, each family that's watching via the live stream. We bless the service to follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.